0: garden of eden man you had to be there i guess yeah i mean (laughs) it was a wild time everybody naked back before the fan fiction for that snake got written (laughs) snake naked the dangerous Heavenly Host in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Eshin. And welcome to episode 347 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours.
1: In this episode, we're talking about how to use angels and celestials in your game. But first, the party goes deeper in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Harriet Tubman heads north in the Character Creation Forge. So listeners won't
0: be able to tell this, but i had to re-record the episode 347 marker uh because i was distracted by you putting host in the opener
1: twice maybe we're also off our game because it's been uh, a few weeks since an episode came out and i haven't slept for more than four hours at a time because like, <laughs> your baby hasn't slept for more than four hours at a time yeah yeah <laughs> two is not twice the work no no <laughs> Um, so, you know, per usual, thank you for, uh, bearing with us on our slightly rocky release schedule, which we are working on tightening up, but look, no promises for the immediate future, uh, because, uh, I am moving, um, out of the country. Uh, My wife got a job in Italy, so I'm putting my feminism where my mouth is. Uh, I quit my job and the whole family is moving. So, we're going to take a little while to get settled, but, you know, hopefully we'll have some in the queue so we continue, I don't know, relatively uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> but in the meantime, you know what you can do? Send us your questions because episode 350 is, I mean, coming up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say around the corner, but coming up. It is no fewer than four weeks away. <laughs> Wait,
0: three weeks when this comes out.
1: Four weeks from recording. (laughs) But if you have any burning questions or, oh, I don't know, things that you're too lazy to go over to our Discord to ask the fine people there, then send them to us uh, at tptcast on Twitter, totalpartythrill at gmail.com. Those are probably the best ways to get in touch with us. Um, Whatever you like, and we'll stick it in the old mailbag.
0: And keep in mind, there is a real likelihood that this is the last mailbag of fifth edition
1: oh yeah that's a good point
0: some summer release schedules are a thing so we could get sixth edition early next year and then no more fifth edition mailbag
1: wow so if there's anything you ever wanted to know about fifth edition we know everything about it (laughs) if there's anything you ever wanted to know about our opinion of fifth edition (laughs) Alright, so
0: where are we in the
1: Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And high in the mountains, the party is trying to stop the quarry from finding the Gatekeeper's seals and unleashing the chaos of Zoriat onto the Material Plane.
0: Uh, so Bramble is dead dead. <laughs> and Decimus crushes his last few diamonds to revive him. <laughs>
1: Which means you're out of diamonds. Fresh out of diamonds. <laughs> and no way to get them as you head deeper and deeper into uh, the ruins tainted by, by Kierzan. All around, screaming creatures pour forth from dark places. The cash goblins form ranks and rush to meet them, spearing gibbering gruesome beasts on their pikes. Hobgoblin squads surround taller creatures with tentacles writhing in their mouths. Many of the defenders fall, turned inside out by fell magics or horribly warped by the contamination. And in the distance, Lenore spots a clean, wavering light.
0: The goblins clear a path for the party. They break through the line and into an open cavern. The start of a maze of passages. Before them, Primus slowly revolves in the air, a halo of light softly illuminating the space.
1: You wish to continue? The way ahead is dangerous, and you may not return. They hear it speak in their minds. Yes! Yes, (laughs) Yes. all of them shout at the same time, as they can still hear the hordes of aberrations on their heels.
0: Primus disappears, then reappears down one tunnel. They follow, and it repeats the process, leading the way through the maze down deeper into the earth, ever westward. After a quarter of an hour, the pace slows, and Primus pauses at the mouth of another large cavern. The corruption increases deeper in, they hear.
1: A wide chasm splits the room, and a natural bridge that once spanned it has crumbled. Far below, they can hear the sound of rushing water. Decimus grabs a nearby rock and infuses it with light. He steps to the edge and tosses it in, watching it plummet more than a hundred feet, before disappearing beneath the water with a splash. And the light winks out.
0: Warden turns into a parrot and flies across with a rope in his beak. Above the chasm, a nausea builds in his stomach, but he is able to resist, and it subsides. Landing on the opposite side, he turns back into humanoid form and secures the rope to a stalagmite. Lenore follows, balancing on the tightrope. She feels the same nausea and is overcome. Instead of vomiting, the pain spreads into her chest and down her right arm, which bulges and explodes into a sickly, mucus-covered tentacle. (gasps)
1: but she keeps her footing and makes it across. Next, Vesikad secures himself with another rope and tries to clamber across, but he slips. Instead of plummeting to the water below, he slams into the cliffside, several meters down. <laughs> Zan helps to haul him back up, then crosses the bridge alone. He succumbs to the same corruption as Lenore, and his arm also transforms into a tentacle. <laughs> Letting his glaive dissipate, he resummons it as a longsword. Meanwhile, Decimus has been working to retool his
0: backpack. He activates it and begins to float. Grabbing Vesicod, the pair fly across the chasm. Decimus resists the corruption for now, but Vesicod's ears shrivel away and he is deafened and unable to manifest powers that require him to speak.
1: As soon as the last party member touches down on the far side of the chasm, the ground ripples and bulges. The earth explodes to reveal massive creatures that look much like Goliaths, but they have no heads Instead, in the middle of their chests, a screaming mouth wails in pain. They attack, smashing the party with rock hard fists, pushing them toward the edge of the chasm. And we'll find out what happens next. Next week. So, this week we are talking about using angels and celestials and all those goody goody type creatures from the heavens and the plains, etc. Mm hmm. This is our continuation of our series
0: using iconic monsters both for gms and for players Uh,
1: so as we always do with this series we kick it off with when you're going to use angels you need to define them what does what does that mean when people talk about angels and i think there are some monsters we've done in this series that are, you know, creatures of myth or legend that like, you know, a few people know about or there's a lot of misinformation, right? But but typically in a setting, everybody knows of or has heard of angels because if they exist then they there probably is some sort of like religion that also exists that defines them in a way that lay people can understand, right? Like there's a common mythos. So, what is that? What does it look like? And there are a couple of Sort of easy ways or um, easy models from the real world that you can start with, uh, if you're not uh, just straight up using a published setting. Obviously, the first one where we even like get the word is a a Judeo-Christian tradition. You've got five thousand years, give or take, of lore and stories about what angels are, what they look like, what they do, what their purpose is, um, how they fight, how they are defeated, how they're corrupted. All those sorts of things. Um, there's a deep, deep well to draw from. And of course, you know, for several hundred years, literature and media has been doing the exact same thing. So you're in good company.
0: Yeah, there's plenty of, de- of, of derived media from that rich vein. <laughs> uh, and conveniently, like... There's a lot of like conflicting points of view on what they are, how they behave. So whatever you're looking for, you can almost always find it in some type of, if not the original text, then at least like some derivative media or parody.
1: Yeah, like whatever you need an angel to be, there is some sect that has said that angels are exactly like that. And uh, you don't need even even need to create this stuff on your own. I mean, think think of like the the gamut of uh like angel appearances in both religion and and pop culture derived from religion, right? Like you you've got uh, flaming swords and you know the angel of death, all the way to you know um, it's a wonderful life, right? To
0: John Travolta, I <laughs>
1: with wings. The one that always, for some reason, sticks in my head is this old like Mickey Mouse Club serial from like the 90s called uh, Teen Angel, which was Jason Priestley, who like was a, a 50s rockabilly kid who like died in a car crash, but he like wasn't good enough to get into heaven, so he has to like help kids from the 90s with their lives in order to like earn his wings, which is like. Completely apocryphal, right? Like, like, there's nothing in anything I just said that appears in a religious text. Okay, so Jason Priestley,
0: obviously, everybody knows him from was it nine hundred two one zero or Melrose nine hundred two one zero? Doesn't matter. Okay, yeah, so nine hundred two one zero. But then, like in like in my head, when I think of Jason Priestley, though, like '90s rockabilly or uh, '50s rockabilly is kind of what I think.
1: Kind of, yeah. that's because
0: it's like the back projection of his character on 90210, right? It, like he, he was kind of the bad boy.
1: He had the hair. No, it was Luke Perry was the bad boy. Oh, Luke Perry was the bad boy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never but mind. you could totally, ima- I mean, I can definitely imagine Luke Perry as like 50s Rockabilly, right? But, but it was like, he was dressed like the Fonz. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. Like, Like I said, like a 50s rockabilly bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) But like the, even just the concept of like, oh, I need to like do good deeds to earn my way into heaven. But like angels aren't dead people. You know what I mean? Like. Right. Except, I mean, sometimes they are, right? Like in folk media or like folk tradition, you talk to like your grandparents, like, you know, their friends who've passed on are angels, right? (laughs) Well, that's what you say, right? Is
0: like another, like, uh. Uh, you know heaven has gained another angel or whatever mm.
1: so like it, it's so infused certainly into Western culture and you know the fantasy genre in general I don't think you need to worry too much about like getting your theology correct you know
0: yeah there's there's another uh clear source of angels at least in in like d and d canon too, right? Uh, which they also stole, <laughs> like, the name of straight from the source, which is the Hindu devas.
1: Yeah, which every edition sort of redefines what d d means by devas. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, we stole the name, and we also stole the concept, but sometimes those two don't really come together in the same creature, right? Well, yeah, we stole the concept of, you know, what, what the guy who wrote it in the first place thought they were without access to Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> like many uh, iconic D&D monsters. Right. <laughs> um, but like, you know, the, the term devas really just sort of, sort of refers to any kind of deific being. Uh, if the word deva sounds a little bit familiar when you're thinking about theology, it is because it comes from the same root same Proto Indo-European root word as the Latin Deus, which is of course where we get deity. So, like, oh, I did not, I didn't know that. I didn't know that until I did a weezy bit of research for this. But uh, See, that's the value of Wikipedia. If, you're right. If
0: only Gygax had had access to Wikipedia <laughs> and not the World Book.
1: Although he might have just edited Wikipedia. True. And then, and then, where would we be? Worse for it. Uh but yeah, you get you I mean, let's talk about DD for let's keep talking about D&D for a sec. Like you get this weird thing where the the fifth edition Deva is a CR10, like Western angel, like the the platonic ideal of a western angel, like alabaster skin, male form, big bird wings. hmm A halo. I mean, essentially, right? But, if they but should, not, if they but not like a literal
0: halo. halo, you know, like it's got to be a halo made out of like golden <laughs> right, feathers. A, a
1: nimbus, right? Right. <laughs> so a, a nice thing that you can do here is if you're going to take inspiration, you can go to the original sources with uh, a lot of these religious texts rather than necessarily just using directly the sort of ground beef version that we sometimes mm-hmm. get in monster manuals. Mm -hmm. Um, I think
0: when it comes to the dramatic use of let's broaden it a a slight bit to you know the innately divine Um, we can look at some of the like more traditional literature sources right for how those things interact and what kind of drama can come from those stories uh, which you have nicely categorized <laughs> as religious fanfic, like the Divine Comedy from Dante or Paradise Lost from Milton. I mean, Divine Comedy um, is
1: just Dante is just self-insert, right? Like, it's just him being like, "I'm well, so, super cool." Well, so Divine Comedy is like allegory,
0: right? Uh, like he- heavy-handed, but, yes, yes. Well, sure, but like it, it's just it's it's allegory. It's telling the story in a in a religious framing so that it could like be sponsored by the whatever doges or whoever in, uh, in Florence or whatever, right? Like it's an excuse. Like John Milton was a crazy person. <laughs> like, like John Milton thought that he was like speaking the word of God when he wrote Paradise Lost. So, you know, like and you've got, at, you've got two different literary traditions at hand.
1: right? There. And like Dante like has a better idea of like what he's doing, right? Because you know Milton thinks that this is like truth that he's writing, um, but like from a from a gaming perspective, what Dante wrote is again like not supported in any way by the theology, right? He like just sort of like made up all of this stuff, and it had it then became part of our cultural understanding of what what heaven and hell look like, right? Um, but like, look, if it's good enough for Dante, you. You can do it too, you know? Like there's all of the stuff for you to draw on that your players will understand in an allegorical sense, whether you're drawing specifically from like a Judeo-Christian tradition or you are drawing on the mythology of whatever setting that you're using. So I do think one thing that's
0: interesting about both Dante and Milton is that their angels tend to have something closer resembling free will mm-hmm. than their, like, infernal counterparts, right? Like, demons and devils are the way they are because that's their nature and they're corrupted and they, they're they irredeemable, right? But, like, angels have free will and can fall. Um, And sometimes they're punished for that. And sometimes they... I, I guess they can redeem themselves too, right? But, like... That, that's the issue. Can right? they? Wait, is can like, they?
1: Or is, is the fall usually just... I think it's all... Is it just one way? Because, like... Uh, no,
0: isn't the whole thing... Is that, like... Yeah, no, because the whole the whole basis of Paradise Lost is that Lucifer could be forgiven. He just refuses. Right, right, right. Right? Uh-huh. Like, that's the whole fundamental, like, issue with sin, is that, like, he could still give it up and he won't. Right.
1: God didn't make a mistake by making someone who's evil. They are choosing it. They're choosing it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh-huh.
0: Um, Which is like probably a little bit different than even like modern D&D is really presenting angels. And like, I mean, certainly like how Tolkien presents like angelic figures, right? Like they're incorruptible good. And and in a sense, they don't have any free will. They can't be anything but good. Whereas like there's almost a drop of humanity in the angels of like the... Let's say the Judeo the Judeo Christian fan fiction. So <laughs> uh, I read this story about a snake, and I
1: built a whole backstory for him. <laughs> so he's a druid, okay? Right. We got stuck. <laughs> um. It, so Tolkien is interesting because I uh, I think obviously right, Tolkien is extremely like very Catholic and extremely and inspired by like his his personal religious views. Um, Was he Catholic? I didn't know that. Yeah, but but he oh. um, makes he like writes a, a polytheistic world, mm-hmm. right? So this is sort of the same thing. Like whatever your beliefs are, or your um, your players' beliefs, it doesn't matter. You can use all of it for inspiration, and I think we'll we'll definitely get into like the, the free will stuff more, but. You're right that, like, angels in Tolkien's world are, like, they're the Maiar, right? Like, it's Eru Uluvatar is basically Yahweh, and, you know, he has the Valar and then the Maiar who serve them. So, like, he has levels of angels, right? Which is sort of like B-canon <laughs> <Sorry>. Christianity, right?
0: <laughs> I realized that if I had read this in high school instead of, like, Paradise Lost, I would have equal like visibility into the allegory but like <laughs> the difference is that like lots of children read Paradise Lost and nobody
1: le- reads the Simularian and like <laughs> or Simarillion and it sounds ridiculous <laughs> but like Gandalf's an angel right? like right he's right which is why he comes back right? yes I mean <laughs> yes and Saruman same way right he's a Maiar he's an angel but he falls mm-hmm um, and then, like, somehow becomes mortal or whatever. The Balrog is also an angel of the same level. Sauron is an angel. The Balrog, Balrog doesn't seem to have any choice in the matter, really. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like sort of born of Morgoth. And now we're getting on the edges of like my <laughs> my like Tolkien <laughs> understanding. Great. It doesn't really matter. Uh, and then, then also, then if you go you fast forward even more, you got contemporary fantasy, which is basically you know D D. Any TV sh- any supernatural TV show on the WB, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, 50% of animes, <laughs> yeah, F- angel. And, and, and
0: and here it runs the gamut of like literally like the right hand of God, right? And whatever shame, uh, shape, or tradition like God takes in your setting to like basically a human with a divine connection, um, which which could look any like like anything on the spectrum, right? Like like it's like the I don't know neo angelic fantasy, I guess.
1: Right, right. Like what what is an angel? Oh, lots of eyes. That, that's a spider. Okay. Well, my oh, dude. that's yeah.
0: This is uh yeah. This is my <laughs> favorite. Oh, real angels have lots of eyes. Oh, biblical
1: angels are a meme. Which is interesting, right? Because yeah, biblical angels, some of them have lots of eyes, and others have like I don't know, fiery. Rings or whatever, but some of them look like people, right? Like, that's that's the whole point is like the Christian God isn't like, yo, I'm gonna tell Mary that like her life's about to change and I'm gonna scare the. Sh- out of her when i do it (laughs) right (laughs) you you know the thing about the angel gabriel is that he's the protector because no one will come (laughs) (laughs) but then you gotta wonder like who showed up to those shepherds right because it's like exactly chill chill my dudes hold on (laughs) exactly it's good news no it's good news (laughs) ignore my other 37 eyes please (laughs) they're up here they're up here (laughs) exactly
0: so, uh, so, I think
1: probably the maybe the most important thing is to figure out what is the motivation of the angel that you are including in your setting. And, like, look, my notes right here say unlikely to have free will. but like you you brought it up. I think this is maybe kind of the most important thing to decide about your angel or an individual angel. and it can it can differ among angels angels in your setting, right? But traditionally, they they mostly don't. Have free will in that they are more like embodiments of concepts, right?
0: Yeah, I think like at the at the very least, like they they have imperfect will, right? Like they aren't because because angels fall. Right, like angels can be tricked; they can make mistakes. Usually, like they yes, aren't, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, like there's like they're subject to malfeasance at the very least. Right, and that can be extremely detrimental to them. So, like there is some higher ideal that they must embody. Like that's kind of core to their being. Whether or not they can willingly depart from that, um, or whether or not they can just be you know manipulated uh, as a result of it, like I think is is probably more of a question for your setting but it's also an like informs their motivation right like angels are lawful good right to put a point on it but like they're also conscious of like their mistakes could have lasting harm to people and themselves
1: yeah and i think deciding whether an individual angel or angels as a whole have free will in your game necessarily requires you to, to define them i think about as much as you need to define them in order to use them in your game right so can they be i, th- I think they, they definitely can be convinced by a pc right like if they can't be convinced then then they're not really like an npc they're more like i don't know a force a force of nature or an object really like an obstacle right it's it's like it's almost like free will is kind of the
0: wrong framing right it's almost like infallibility is the better framing for them right um because like angels are not omnipotent and they're not omniscient right so like there is a fallibility to them which they actively try to mitigate typically um and so they might not be free to ignore it and subvert it (laughs) right but like they have to be aware of it in order to accomplish their purpose um but being but not being infallible means they can make mistakes or can be tricked or trapped or deceived or whatever right um i think like you do a good job of this when you when you bring out like planetars right and it's like everyone around them just implicitly trusts that the planetar is speaking the truth but you don't necessarily trust that they have all the information necessary to like make the right pronouncement
1: yeah and i think we'll do, we'll we can dive a bit more into this when we talk about like how to use them, like how to how to use an angel in your game, right? If they're supposed to be like this, you know, perfect exemplar of some sort of ideal. Um, but like their their nature, right? Like usually they serve some sort of higher being, right? A deity typically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question then for your party is, are how loyal are they? To that deity is it that they are essentially in like fourth edition DD cosmology they're kind of like a broken off piece of the deity themselves right they they can't except in very rare circumstances they can't go against the ideals of their deity whatever that deity is because i think they could end up being any alignment i think this is um this is how uh magic the gathering does angels what's the what's the city world that also has magic the gathering setting uh ravnica that's it oh that one yeah Yeah, yeah. the ravnica angels like can be any alignment but it's you know it's the same alignment as their deity right um or same alignment as their uh mana color it's their mana color right right? yeah or combo of mana colors whatever but you know if you if you're dealing with a whatever orzhov angel like you know you know what their perspective is going to be. You know what their motivation is going to be. You not, may not know that, like their particular mission, right? Like what they're trying to accomplish right now in this moment. But you know ultimately, like what are the values that they ascribe to? And then like the, the question is, is there an angle for your party? Like can they rely on that? Or can they rely on knowing that this is an Orzhov angel or knowing that this is an angel who reports to Asmodeus or to Paylor or whatever, Right. Uh, and that they are definitely always absolutely going to, to their best of their ability, try to do what Paylor wants them to do, or is there wiggle room? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? An angel of Osmodeus, I feel like there should always be wiggle room, because Osmodeus would want that. He would, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't take a good you... deal? What do you, what? What? <laughs> yeah, you made me proud today. <laughs> I'm still going to kill you, but you made me Correct. proud.
0: <laughs> I will pluck your feathers from your wings <laughs> one by one, but I will be proud of you while I do it. Um, let's talk about the roles that angels can play in your uh, in your mythos.
1: Yeah, these are pretty much the main ways that they'll show up in your game. Or, you know, easy ways to include them. First one is messenger. This is the easiest, simplest way to use them. It's very traditional, right? This is good tidings of great joy. This is, I got to tell you a thing, and like for some reason, traditionally, deities don't show up and tell you the thing in person unless it's Zeus, <laughs> and then there's a motive. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the motive is your wife. <laughs> uh, you might be distracted by an angel, though. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, But the angel shows up and they got something to tell you. And it's important, obviously, right? Because like, you know, no one is ever like, I just don't, I don't know. uh, I need to investigate whether this is an angel. Like, it's obvious. And I think Mm -hmm. if, if a messenger angel shows up, you as a player should have no, there shouldn't be a question, right? And like, literally just above the table, be like, hold on a sec. Like, is there any possibility that this is... Not the case that this is an illusion or whatever, or whatever. And I think if it's a messenger angel as a GM, you should be like, no, no. You one you 100% know. Like, you feel it. And you're more you sure about right. this than you are about, like, what your name is.
0: You know, as a messenger, it's not just good news, right? Like, it can be warnings. It can be uh, orders and commands. Like, there's any any number of things that a deity might want to communicate to a, uh, a faithful or even lapsed servant.
1: And this is a great way to do a little bit of railroading without it feeling like railroading because the deity basically is like hey here are instructions very explicit clear instructions go to Nineveh <laughs> <Fritz>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do there when we get there oh sorry he's gone okay wait I don't think
1: you're heading to Nineveh uh, you're getting eaten by a whale cool cool you're going to Nineveh now <laughs>
0: could be here all year all right um angels can also be servants i like your example angels in the outfield
1: (laughs) they show up and they're like they're your butler for some reason i guess
0: yeah, there's the – there like we mentioned earlier, there's the concept of like gaining your wings or earning your wings, right? And so like not not every angel is necessarily in an angelic form, but by attempting to best serve a deity and, and loyally demonstrate your faith, right? Like you, uh,
1: you take on an angelic uh, role or function. And there are a lot of ways that this can show up, right? Like Mushu, the little tiny dragon voiced by Eddie Murphy in Mulan, is – has the function of an angel, right? I'm here to help. I'm not all powerful, but I know lots of plot relevant stuff, and and I can make plot relevant things happen if I need to,
0: right? Ah, uh, yes, got it. Okay, so similar role to um, uh, Olaf the Snowman, voiced by Josh Gad in Frozen.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> because well, I mean, Elsa is obviously magic. a deity. <laughs> right. This is useful because one it can be a reward to a player like a class feature um i think fifth edition has the concept of like a an angelic guide for your awesome art character who basically pops up and is like hey i think you should do the good thing huh and oh is that hard okay i guess i'll help you a little bit Yeah, the
0: the old angel on the shoulder
1: right literally um but you know, if your party needs a nudge in the right direction, if they if they need help, right? This is, the, the messenger isn't someone who's supposed to show up all the time, right? They're the quest giver. They're like, you know, and they might be like, you know, it's dangerous out there. Here's a wooden sword, you know, go out on your way. But the the servant is probably less powerful, but is often accessible. And then you have the exemplar,
0: right? This is the divine embodiment of the concept, right? So you have your angel of death or your angel of mercy or your guardian angel.
1: Right. And I think more than the, certainly more than the others, maybe more likely than any other kind of angel, this is a possible antagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're on the same side, even if you serve the same God, maybe, maybe especially in those cases, because you may differ on interpretation, right? Right. Um and in this case i think almost definitely they either don't have free will or the plot revolves around them making a particular decision right but like the angel right. the angel of death um or you know combat focused angels right like uh is that is that michael is sort of like the the big strong the, destructive the, one see the hand of god i think i think so in those instances like, like nobody should be able to beat them in hand-to-hand combat. Like that just, it just shouldn't happen. You know, it shouldn't be possible. Range combat? I don't know. Maybe. Casting spells? Maybe. Darts? Possibly. Or equipped with a MacGuffin? Sure. Yeah, right, right. That's the (laughs) whole point of this thing. Angel of Mercy, um, if you need to, you know, snap your fingers and heal everyone in an entire city of a horrible, virulent plague, that can happen. They just do that.
0: Right. Right. Or, you know, you've used the last of your diamond dust. <laughs> <laughs> and you really need to get back for round two of this quest.
1: Uh, it's uh, They're basically a fairy in a jar. It's uh, You're a phoenix down. <laughs>
0: uh, and then somewhere between your servant and your exemplar, right, is going to be the sort of like warrior ranks of angels yeah. right because there's always sort of that concept of the war in heaven or the army of god um right like there's a militant bent to this too um especially in like you know in the, the D D mythology right um where depending on their power right like you could have warriors of like all different castes right and it's sort of that idea of like if things are truly desperate, right, if this really is the war for heaven, like, every angel will pick up a
1: sword. Right, even the Lantern Archon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm a floating ball of light, but you know what? A, I cast blind. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, this is nice because traditionally you have different levels of angels with differing powers and differing abilities, right? And this is obviously very common in, in like, monster manuals. Um, but also in theology. And you have typically a party whose power level is also varying, depending on how long the campaign's been going on, right? It's usually increasing. So you can have a situation where you're fighting alongside the heavenly host, and initially you're being led by a high level angel and you can see that you know them do the cool stuff while the party handles lower level stuff or you know low level demons or whatever but eventually you can get to a point where the party has proved themselves and you are now in charge of or at least fighting alongside or of like mid-tier lower level angels or they may have even may even just like trust you enough that your opinion matters especially in a combat scenario and then I think an, another role that an angel can serve is deviant. And this this covers both good and bad. What this means is an angel who it does not fit into the normal categories of angelness, whatever that is in your game. So this could be the fallen angel um, who you know, used to serve a particular God, maybe serves a different God, um, or just serves himself or it could be the risen angel. Or, is, or I guess the risen the risen demon, right? Especially in a setting where like demons and angels are two sides of the same coin. And I think this is the deviants are probably the most likely well, they're definitely the most likely PCs. Certainly, because you're all as a PC, you're always an outlier, right? And if you want to like play an angel or someone who used to be an angel, then you you basically the you job number 1 is how <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I I also think like that's kind of where Asimar have to come from too. You mm-hmm. know, like it, it kind of look
1: there's issues if like <laughs> angels are just running around. You know, like right. I mean, even Asmar is like like even the traditional story is oh yeah, one of my ancestors bone down with an angel.
0: Like they don't tell that story from the angel side, right? Like
1: right. Is that <laughs> like is that like, deviant uh, behavior or was it like it's part of the job? You know, I'm trying to make Asmar. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the the little bastard of heaven. <laughs> All right, uh, let's talk about
1: angels as NPCs in your game. When you're trying to wrap your head around their outlook, it is I I want to say alien, but honestly, I think it's probably more human than human. Does that make sense? It, like take an aspect of humanity and then just drill down on that to the exclusion of other things that don't fall within the auspices of that angel's job or that angel's deity. Yep. And I think
0: like those, like their view of humans is either shaped by their misunderstanding of like the lack of hyper-focus, right? Like why don't humans value this more? Why do they, they allow other things to distract from it or curiosity by that very concept, right? Like I'm the angel of this, but you have so many other things that you're concerned about. You don't prioritize my thing. What a strange creature.
1: Yeah, and again, I think this dips into the free will thing, right? Like if there's a possibility of an angel to really contemplate doing something different, then I think curiosity is a more likely response. But if they're essentially like an AI that just carries out deific programming, then it's much more likely to be confusion about like... I kind of I, I kind of like the idea
0: of, like, angels being programmed, but also, like, curious, right? Like, I'm never going to do anything different, but I am curious why you're the way you are. Oh, I want to understand. <laughs> you know? like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm intelligent, I want to
1: understand, but, like, I am the way I am, you know? that That's an interesting angle, because, like, traditionally they also have empathy, right? Well, maybe, maybe not the angel of death, but, like, most of them have <laughs> empathy, right? A lot of, th- well, hang on, a lot of times the angel of death is also represented
0: with a lot of A lot of empathy because Mm -hmm. death is often the like the flip side of mercy, right? Like there's the 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 sort of like right. So it's not. Yeah, I think there's a (laughs) the Grim Reaper, right? And like that sort of thing, like obviously is 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 intended to be like not sympathetic at all uh, and and completely lacking of empathy. But like the other side of it is always like, oh, it's the old person who's like their time has come right and they're like they're ready because they're accepting like the next stage right and like and therefore like the angel of death is is a benefit to them Mm -hmm. so time to turn you into an angel another day at the angel factory exactly (laughs) like he's just a wing giver it's like basically like the lead flight attendant handing out pilot wings on the plane and
1: red bulls (laughs) (laughs) all right so think about how they view humans or humanoids like mortals and then mm. what are their goals and it's usually pretty easy to figure out what a given angel's goal is rather they're either out for themselves or they're trying to follow some sort of specific plan but the mm. real question is how are they going to go about making these plans come to fruition
0: right Will they do it themselves? Do they have to act through intermediaries? Does the party have to, like, is their goal to make the party carry something out on their behalf?
1: Right. Think about how is a mortal useful to an angel, right? Like, you live forever, you have a, a bunch of power. Like, what, what does a mortal do that the angel can't just do on their own? And it's probably, it's usually not, like, slaying demons, because, like, that's what they do all day. Right? right? It's usually something involving choice or free will or I don't or know. Sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, that's true because like I, I can't die, so. Right. Like it's the one thing angels can't give up, right? Right. Uh, you can you can give up uh, true love, right? Uh, in that one Nicolas Cage movie. Was that it? Nicolas? Was it Nicolas Cage? Is that it? City of Angels? Was that it? City of Angels? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got Michael. We got City of Angels. Let's keep going. <laughs>
1: We haven't mentioned Angel from Buffy yet. Uh, the the prototypical angel. In fact, <laughs> uh, actually, my favorite angel, the T1000 from Terminator 2. let get out. Servant angel, basically AI programmed by a godlike being that you can't actually communicate with, but you got a mission, and it kind of needs to follow your orders, but it wants you to stay on task. Huh? Eh? Huh? Eh?
0: There's the uh, there's the whole good alignment problem. <laughs> like, <laughs> you also describe
1: devils, by the way, <laughs> right, who are often angels. I'm just throwing that up there, right? I mean, the T1000 is a, a risen demon, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is definitely his story function. Yes. Uh, not immune to fire anymore, though. That really—that's the problem. Well, you know, yeah. Uh, so how is a mortal? useful to an angel really is how is the party useful to an angel why is this angel here right or what what is the plot the angel is enacting that is uh, at cross
0: purposes with the party mm-hmm. right like what's the conflict that the party has with the angel
1: and you know it could be we sought out the angel right so now yeah to stop to right. stop winning all those baseball games <laughs> right. and now you have got to deal with an angel who doesn't need the party like right. that's the obstacle uh think about what it feels like to for a mortal to be in an angel's presence, right? Like, what does it look like? All is usually the, mm-hmm. the descriptor, but Bright, like shiny, right? But like, what's an angel smell like? Ozone, frankincense, <laughs> and myrrh. Imagine. Frankincense and myrrh. What are you talking about? <laughs> gold, it smells like gold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, like rich mahogany. What do you mean? <laughs> this angel smells like sex panther. <laughs> uh, if Michael, <laughs> if <laughs> they're extinct, I killed all the sex panthers. Um, if you, if your party or if your character is meeting an angel for the first time, like if these are not things that are bubbling up, ask these questions. Yo, what does the angel smell like? No, no, I want to know. I'm uh, I'm a shifter. I smell a lot of stuff. It's important. Or like, what goes through your mind? What do you think when you see an angel, it's probably either like, oh, finally, we're getting some help or, oh, shit, we f***ed up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the
0: that part of it is a really interesting question because like in most cases right like you run into something new in D D, and there's that sort of fumbling about to figure out exactly what it is right and and you have this sort of like characters but also the players sort of fumbling through their knowledge trying to determine exactly like what the parameters are but like more so than maybe any other creature is like the presence of an angel leaves you without doubt that you're in the presence of an angel right and so like how does that take shape in your world right in the modern world it's probably a sense of like peace and calm and like knowing but in a dnd world it might be confidence and safety and you know other things that are at a premium in a you know low fantasy medium fantasy kind of setting
1: right and if you're playing diablo then you're like wow you have bright wings and no face why
0: are your wings so stringy, Diablo angels?
1: <laughs> and also, I'm pretty sure you're going to murder me, aren't you?
0: Definitely. I'm pretty sure you fight Tyrael at some point. Diablo 4? No, 3. 3? I think you fight
1: 2. I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Speaking of, let's talk about angel combat. I think usually it will be pretty obvious when an angel is going to choose to fight. Because it will be when their anathema is presented to them, right? If a mm. demon shows up, great. Angel's going to fight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill that demon. Right. That's what I do. Or, mm. you know, the, my mission is to, like, save innocents. Innocents are in trouble. I will fight. That might be, like, a
0: borderline compulsion as well, right. Mm-hmm. right? Like, they might not really get a choice in the matter. That might just be their nature.
1: A warlike angel, an angel who serves, you know, a god of war, probably fights as soon as there's any opportunity to fight
0: yeah probably doesn't even like
1: probably just (laughs) keeps a gauntlet in hand to throw
0: like doesn't even put them on (laughs) angels are probably also very likely to fight to the death as much as that means right Mm. like because they're immortal so like that sacrifice the sacrifice of life is nothing to them right it's the uh uh what it's the sigmarines right in uh Mm. in Mm. In uh, Age of Sigmar, like, the Order of Sigmar just keeps coming back. So, like, they just fight to the death
1: every time. If you have angels who, when slain, just sort of, like, reform in heaven or the planes or whatever, then obviously, yeah, there's no... They probably have no self-preservation instinct, right? Other than, like, how much time does it take me to, to get back to the battlefield? Um, but even in a setting where an angel can die, die... I think usually they'll still they're still going to fight to the death because, like, un- unless you are serving a god of cowardice, god of greater good, should, <laughs> is the term you're looking for. The god of plans within plans and self-preservation. <laughs> usually, what happens is it's like okay, I might cease to exist, right? Like maybe this is annihilation for me, but it also is annihilation for that demon because like we're probably equal, right? So like if I can take it out or more than it out, that is – that's good math.
0: Yeah, and that's all always too like the – like w- one of those things that angels sac- – like a thousand angels sacrifice themselves to bind this demon, right? Like that's always the thing, right? Like we will annihilate ourselves in order to prevent this one evil from uh, returning or whatever it is. So I think that is very in keeping with uh with angels regardless of their – um. Well, immortality,
1: Like it's all or nothing with them, right? Like any evil is infinite evil, right? So there is no sacrifice too great to counter any amount of evil. The tiniest amount right. of evil you can give everything and it will be worth it. I think in combat, like actual abilities, they, they probably rely on whatever their nature is for as much as possible. And this is a handy shortcut if you're sort of describing how they fight or what they fight with or what their tactics are. You know, so Angel of War goes all in, can summon any weapon, whatever, right? Angel of Death decrepifies or uses necrotic energy or whatever. They can also typically tap
0: into their deity's power in some some shape or form. Um, but often it's like that's when you talk about like the tears of angels and like the type of power that they can they can leverage from their deity varies often by their power level.
1: But again, if you need a MacGuffin here, I think it's reasonable in a story that any angel can make almost anything happen if the story calls for it. And what that mm-hmm. really means in story is like their deity sees a need for it. Right. Yeah,
0: which is to say... The players are willing to sacrifice their angel.
1: Right. <laughs> or willing to sacrifice whatever the angel says they need to sacrifice in order for this thing to happen. Then there are,
0: you know, obviously the weaknesses of the angels. Um, first, there is often like whatever it is in your setting that is the anathema to angels. So typically the demons and devils or uh or whatever you want to call them.
1: Right. Like those are the wounds that don't heal or, you know, they were evenly matched or whatever. Right. Um, they might lose power if they're acting outside the bounds of their mission or their orders from their deity, which you can run into issues when the party has convinced them to do things that are like edge case. Well, that's also like not just
0: a like a depowering problem, but just like a general unwillingness is a weakness as well, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Like they just certain things they just won't do because it's against their nature. Right. Um, or lack of knowledge. That's why I don't know how to do right. that. Right, like I'm not, I'm not equipped for
1: this. Right, I don't know how to pull a punch. I can I'm not only one kill. One of the
0: Azamar makers. <laughs>
1: right. I'm not equipped. <laughs> I just got eyes down there. <laughs> it's dangerous out there. Take this. <laughs>
0: um, and then of course, like just generically, broadly, right? Like evil, unholy, um, like corrupted or tainted right like any type of uh unhallowed ground things like that tend to be or tend to cause weaknesses um or rankle or provoke or or otherwise like unsettle
1: angels i also like the idea that like their their real weakness is the party because you can't be pure enough for the angel right like i'm used to fighting beside people who are locks, in lockstep with me both physically and spiritually and you yeah. are not what do you mean you're not immune
0: to radiant damage
1: i am radiant damage I am, like, i'm
0: just <laughs> you to maintain 10 feet away from me okay
1: sorry what's hope <laughs> and why don't you have it
0: well it's because hope is a dangerous thing for a woman like me to have <laughs> got my lana del rey reference in today I'm happy for you. Um, so we are running
1: very long on time, but what are some tactics for angels? You know, you don't want them to take over. You know, you don't want them to overshadow the party. Right. So I think it's very useful for them to inspire their allies or cow their enemies. Um, they can summon that usually seems to be a thing, right? It's the heavenly hosts, right? So just let's just gate in some more angels. Yeah, or
0: or they summon like you know celestial animals, right? Mm-hmm. Just good animal spirits or something like that. Whales? You got why did we're on the mountains? Why did you get whales? <laughs> yes.
1: I'm just well, I'm not. <laughs> let me let me introduce you to Max Fall Damage. <laughs> I'm usually twenty d six roll reflex. <laughs> I'm usually looking down. It's kind of like playing an isometric game, so <laughs> I just I didn't account for the mountains and the water being different altitudes. Right, <laughs> uh, and I think if they are presented with their anathema, they're, you know, a demon or, you know, someone diametrically opposed to them philosophically, they probably deal with them first and maybe even to the complete exclusion of other enemies. i I'd, I'd say it's like the the angel version of going berserk, yeah. and I mean, I think that's a good
0: way in terms of staging a fight right or f- staging a scene uh in your game right like it's a good thing to have maybe that's the fight that's happening in the background right the the epic duel between the high level angel that the party has stumbled across and like the you know the the devil or demon that would kill them at a glance right but then the party still has their own thing that they're trying to accomplish while that's going you know raging above them or or raging behind them as they continue to try
1: and push forward mm-hmm And like if you if you do need to get into the nitty gritty, if like the angel is sort of in the scrum with the party and it matters which hex they're in or they are affecting, then they fight philosophically rather than tactically, and this can be kind of fun because you don't need to think about what is optimal in terms of like damage or character optimization or whatever. It's if this is an angel of order, they fight in a very ordered, very predictable. Way, if this is an angel of war they deal as much damage to the biggest threat every time as often as they can if you're a messenger angel well (laughs) (laughs) you shout encouragement from the sideline add a d4
0: buddy you got this um let's talk about angelic pcs so we've mentioned a little bit the um Azimar, there's also been half celestials in the past, but the any type anything that has this sort of uh divine blood in their bloodline.
1: There's the what we described as the deviant uh angel previously. They can work really well as a PC. That can be your backstory, right? Like the same thing as a similar to an Asamar, but you can be like, I'm a you know, I'm a depowered angel. I fell kind of, I didn't turn evil, I turned mortal, right?
0: Yeah, I, I mean,
1: like angels sacrifice themselves too, mm-hmm. right? Like,
0: uh, I I bound my divinity, or I sacrificed my divinity to bind something. But now I I didn't die. I'm just me.
1: There I am. I got a I got a what's this called? A soul. <laughs> right. I don't know what to do with it. It keeps getting dirty. Yeah. <laughs> Cannot keep this I, thing clean. You have to go pray. <laughs> Um, similarly, you can have, uh, clipped wings. This is actually, this is the Thor story, right? Like Thor is basically a god and Odin's like, you need to learn humility. I'm taking away your powers. Go be a dude who adventures. I was thinking it's more of the, um,
0: the Ben Affleck and Matt Damon story, uh, in mm, Dogma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good too. Um. So they're just, you
1: know, drinking their way across because they're fallen angels. I mean, I love the idea that the point of the campaign is for the PCs used to destroy the multiverse. Prove God wrong. <laughs> yeah. Janine Garofalo,
0: Janine Garofalo will save us. <laughs> but with any of those backgrounds, right? Like some of them have natural goals, right? Live up to your potential or live up to your bloodline or live up, regain what you've lost. But also like all of those could have just normal human goals, right? Like mm-hmm. each one of those, like archetypes is perfectly capable of just figuring out how to live like a mortal and having regular mortal motivations.
1: Yeah. And a a nice arc for all of those is you start with like these lofty ideals and like recovering what was lost and getting my divinity back or like, you know, saving the world because you still have that like very black or white view of, Mm -hmm. you know, the natural world. Uh, And like a fun arc is to then introduce other perspectives to this character as they become a more fully fleshed out person, like mortal person, right? So now oh wait, things things matter other than the like one soul th- thing in my deity's portfolio or things matter other than me getting my divinity back, right? Like that actually right. maybe is like the real sacrifice is at the end. I don't become an angel again. I like I die die. Right? But that that ultimately was the fulfillment of my mission. Right. Um, in terms of magic and magic
0: items, obviously, like, the divine gift is often uh, often a, a trope. So they can provide a magical boon or, you know, literally divine weapons or um, fabled weapons, legendary items, things like that, that, um, you know, can help to accomplish whatever purpose the PCs have.
1: Yeah, like your character can just show up with, you know, the sword of Damocles. (laughs) Right. I don't wield it. It just kind of hovers there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Does anyone else feel, I don't know. It's just a Vorpal sword. I don't know why you're like, it's nothing special. Reclaiming or discovering deific regalia is certainly in line um, or redeeming or destroying unholy relics or finding holy relics, you know, bones of saints, things like that. Um, jawbone of an ass, huh eh? Well, I love that as like the it's much more of like a
0: low fantasy thing, right and I mean mm-hmm. like by low fantasy, I mean like even just like dark age adventuring, right of like the idea of like you know the knuckle bones of a saint if they're real could have some small amount of divine power and like that's valuable right or obviously the knuckle bones of a saint have no divine power and they're a false relic that is causing you know like the bretons to go to war (laughs) because they were stolen from their church or whatever right and it's like these kinds of things are are real in that they're a problem but they're also not real in that like there's no divinity to this these things
1: yeah i i love the idea of like oh yeah you know that's that's the saint saint's knuckle bones sure definitely i can i can tell i fought with them uh they don't have any magic power like dust to dust (laughs) right exactly (laughs) except when i wield it right (laughs)
0: and now they are real knuckle bones right we'll fashion them into knuckle dusters (laughs) um but, I mean, I also like the idea of, like, oh, yeah, I mean, they actually have real power, right? Like, it is worth fighting over, you know, these relics um, because, like, the sword that a saint wielded in a crusade or or in, like, you know, the defense of a city or a defense of a, um, of a church against bandits or heathens or whatever, like, that's valuable to that deity. Um, and so, like, they were rewarded – weirdly i guess their their community was rewarded in their death
1: you could also just be the lore master of all this stuff and never actually wield it right be like oh i i know what that is because i was there or i know that person or like yeah we hang out on the left hand of god (laughs) because that's where they went right and this is a very cool very important relic and like you are blessed to wield it but let me tell you how to use it
0: right (laughs) and also like the last time i saw it was thousands of years ago (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Which is also a, a great way to incorporate this stuff. Like in a lot of um, mythos, angels have been around since the beginning of time, right? They're like one of the first things that get created. So like they've seen everything, every past age, every like dark age, age of demons, long forgotten antediluvian time. They were there. They like, they remember it, you know? So like, oh yeah, we that thing got buried. I mean, they
0: might also remember being moral, right? Like they could, they could be a precursor to the age of humans.
1: Oh yeah. If you have, yeah. If you have angels who ascend, right. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And like, you know, they might not remember it like cognitive, like they don't know that they remember it. Right. But they have that sort of like divine memory in their blood, like their, their blood remembers. Right. And you, it's about unlocking those truths for them.
1: Garden of Eden, man. You had to be there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was a wild time. Everybody, naked. Back before the
0: fan fiction for that snake got written. <laughs> snake, naked. <laughs>
1: All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? The hiss of a flaming sword preventing us from getting back into the Eden. Best bar I've ever been to.
0: Well... Use it to heat up a crucible, because we're headed into the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at
1: Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N, dangerous. And you can tweet at on Evil Sands Carne, that's malice, minus meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us
0: at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link
1: in the show notes. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, I'm continuing my penchant for historical figures. And we're building Harriet Tubman. So... Now Shane this is usually where you say Ishan who was is Harriet Tubman but right. I won't make you <laughs> <Exactly>. say that. <laughs> exactly like I mean Harriet Tubman
0: famous train conductor. In a way yes. I mean, yeah, like obviously, like, Harriet Tubman, famous for the Underground Railroad, um, helping to safely ferry slaves out of the Confederate South into the Free North. Um, but what is it exactly that you are leaning into for Harriet Tubman for a D&D character? You should let me let me phrase it
1: that way. <laughs> so the interesting thing about Harriet Tubman is, yes, she, like, escapes from slavery on her own and treks 90 miles through the eastern shore of Maryland, which if you if you've ever been there, is swamp, swamp,
0: yeah, and also like ninety miles in eighteen fifty, yes. or eighteen fifty five or whatever is is a lot different than ninety miles today.
1: As a as a lone woman who, if spotted, will instantly be known. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and couldn't read or write. Right, uh, and is traveling at night and is being hunted by dogs. Dogs, right, yep. and then goes back into the south. 13 times to bring out more people each time, Uh, gets uh, the moniker Moses, right? Because she's continuing to free her people. And then it doesn't stop there. Then the civil war breaks out and she becomes a union spy. Uh, And actually, Harry Tubman was the first woman to lead American troops in battle ever.
0: I did not know that, but that is an interesting fact on the, like, I think we're now two days removed from the first woman uh, being put in charge of a a U.S. Armed Service, uh, because we just promoted the head of the Navy, uh, is the the admiral is a woman, whose name I should have known before I referenced this, (laughs) but I only saw the headline, and that just goes to show you.
1: Well, 160 years later, it's all took. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So... We're, we're leaning in here to, and, and I said this before when we talked about John Brown in the Forge, right? Like Harriet Tubman is the epitome of a ranger and a spy. Okay. So uh, her biographer said this about her. She used disguises. She walked, rode horses and wagons, sailed on boats, and rode on real trains. She bribed people. She followed rivers that snaked northward. She used the stars and other natural phenomena to lead her north. Which I think gives us a build of Scout Rogue Eleven gloom stalker ranger nine now you might be asking well, if she was a spy so we
0: needed all to, all 20 levels for harriet tubman. i had to pack it
1: all in yes okay now right. you you may be wondering why if she's a spy why is she not a mastermind and shane i think you know why she's not a mastermind
0: because it's trash and
1: she was awesome that's yeah i'm pretty sure making american hero harriet tubman a mastermind rogue is a hate crime so we're not going <laughs> to do
0: this. It's, it's done so bad. I mean, she did orchestrate very effectively, right? Like that was also a thing that she did. The, she, the help she action, yeah, helped okay. manage a network of uh, of informants and and assistants and and collaborators. So it's not completely uh, ignoring what she did, but it's certainly less physical than some of the things that she did. Yeah. So let's focus on the physicality. And it's part.
1: Much less, yeah, it's much worse than the scout which is an excellent rogue. All right. So human, obviously, for the feat, you could take actor because that helps you with disguises. You can take alert because obviously you're always listening for danger. You could take chef because she started working for the Union Army as a cook before transitioning into spy. Or you could take healer. That That one's kind of insulting. Yes, right? They also never paid her and she only got a pension thirty years later. No, the the feat is insultation. <laughs> it's not a bad feat. It's not. <laughs> you could also take healer because while she was a cook in the Union Army, she foraged for medicinal herbs. Like uh,
0: that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean also if you're if you're making that trip through like the the you know, Chesapeake Swampland, like that is going to be a very valuable and necessary skill. So that one does does track.
1: Well, I mean, uh, interesting that you brought up Chesapeake Swampland, because for the very first time, I'm happy that Ranger has Natural Explorer. <laughs> this <laughs> okay. is, I think, the first character we've ever made in the fortress. I'm like, oh, that fits. Yeah, this is okay. exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, but first, background, let's take Folk Hero, because Natural. eventually, yes, yep. everyone knows her and will offer her shelter. So Natural Explorer... Swamp is probably good. Coast also works. Um, And eventually you will get to choose another terrain. You could choose the other one. Uh, Forest or mountain is also fine because eventually, um, after the Fugitive Slave Act, she is taking people all the way into Canada, which is going up through New York and the Appalachians. So all those terrains work. So difficult terrain does not slow your group's travel. And, of course, she's always traveling with people who don't know what they're doing for the most part, right? Like children – people who are farmhands and have never left the plantation before and now right. taking them out into the wilderness. So definitely these people have low skill checks.
0: Yeah, and they've they've also been like, you know, systemically denied the ability to grow those skills. Right,
1: so. yeah. Like suppressed XP, if, right. if anything. Uh, your group can't become lost except by magical means. Even when you're engaged in another activity while traveling, such as foraging, navigating, or tracking, you remain alert to danger. If traveling alone, you can move stealthily at a normal pace, which is her first trip. When you forge, you find twice as much food as you normally would. And when tracking other creatures, you learn their exact number, their sizes, and how long ago they passed through the area, which is exactly how you uh, avoid slave patrols. Well,
0: I was going to say, you also get a favorite enemy. I think this is very obviously humans. Yes,
1: or whatever species in your game is the one that is enslaving people and chasing you. Right. Uh Beast is also potentially an option here just because usually um, trackers are using some sort of animal to hunt as well. And so, you know, if you want to kill those bloodhounds, you can. Makes sense. Fighting style, uh, we're taking the optional class feature Druidic Warrior, uh, which lets you pick two Druid cantrips. Guidance, because this uh, character is all about the skill checks. And then Druidcraft. Uh, which does several things, but uh, one of those is you'll be able to uh, tell what the weather is going to be in the near future.
0: Okay, and then we took Gloomstalker Ranger, so what are we getting out of that?
1: Dark Vision, and you are invisible to Dark Vision. If you are playing like a fantasy character inspired by Harriet Tubman and you are trying to avoid notice, we talked about this, I think, last episode, so many creatures have Dark Vision for whatever reason, and There's just no way to counter it, except Gloomstalker. Yep. Um, We get a little more fantastical here. You get things like Disguise Self. You know, she's a rogue, so you could just take a disguise kit and she'd be good at it non-magically, but you can also use this. Rope Trick is an extremely handy way to hide for an hour and no one can find you. Uh, She gets Wisdom to Initiative, an additional attack in the first round of combat. Eventually gets Extra Attack, Wisdom Proficiency, and Saving Throws. and then. Look, I always I always talk this up. Uh, land stride. Non-magical difficult terrain does not slow you down. What is swampy marshland? Non-magical difficult terrain. Non-magical difficult terrain. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what is swimming? Non-magical difficult terrain. Yep. Uh, and then okay. spells, alarm, long strider, healing spirit, locating animals with plants. Pass without trace is really the main thing that you need uh, because it's plus 10 to stealth for you and your entire party. And then non-detection, because if you're really up against spellcasters chasing you... They're going to scry you. Right, right. and you just disappear. Yep.
0: Um, Then
1: we have 11 levels of rogue, which means we've got a lot of expertise. Mm -hmm. Pick what's most useful, but you know, nature survival, uh, etc., etc. You end up with 66 sneak attack. Hand crossbow is probably your weapon of choice, or two hand crossbows. She always carried a pistol. Um, and famously threatened to shoot anybody uh, who got cold feet and wanted to turn back. Mm.
0: Uh, you'll also get cutting action for extra movement, um, all the usual kind of rogue benefits. Um, but then what we get from Scout is Skirmisher.
1: Which means that if anyone actually does manage to catch up to you, because remember, you're moving twice as fast as they are because you have cutting action, maybe even more than twice as fast because you're also ignoring because difficult you're terrain. you're ignoring difficult terrain, right. <laughs> um you then get to disengage and move half your speed if they end their turn adjacent to you. Uh, superior mobility increases your speed by uh, 10 feet. And I think the mobile feet is also like, if you can fit that in, that's also great. That's plus 20 to your like base movement speed. You're ridiculously fast, especially with cunning action. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, reliable talent is the capstone ability here it means that you're never going to roll poorly on a skill check and a character that is so focused on consistently like without fail like not not failing a skill check like rolling well on a skill check right because one failure means like capture not just for you but also for the people that you're trying to save, right and famously harry tubman never lost the person that she was trying to take to freedom so so you can't fail is it is it reliable talent in survival or in stealth it's everything Remember. It's survival right. oh is it oh it's all of them right it's every, everything that you're proficient in which is at this I'm point a lot of everything <laughs> right okay Oh uh, man too much pathfinder okay
0: great <laughs> uh, and there we have it all right before we wrap up we want to take a moment and thank our patreon supporters
1: your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash Total Party Thrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Apple
0: Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. It is a great way to support the show and help other folks find us. And what do we have planned for next week's episode?
1: We are continuing our tier list for 5th edition D&D subclasses, and we're covering the fighter. And in the character creation forge, we're building Tinker Taylor soldier spy.
0: Well, that's it for episode 347 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for
1: listening.